Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. Anyone in on the early days of e-commerce knows the name one-click retail. They created the seminal platform for e-commerce measurement, sales analytics, and search optimization, one that was acquired by Edge by Essential in 2016. Nathan Rigby and his founding partner have teamed up again to raise the bar on e-commerce analytics and data-driven decision-making with their new company, Analytic Index. Nathan joined Rob and me to talk private brands, retailer ad platforms, the new science of search optimization, and surprisingly, almond flour. So Nathan, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to, uh, to talk about all the things you know from your amazing experience. We're really, really excited about it. It's a pleasure to be here. And I got to tell you, I have just the utmost respect and awe for what you know you are both doing to thought leadership in the space and creating a true dialogue of data and insights for the e-commerce environment. So um, well done and thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm gonna like clip that and <laughs> play it to everybody. That thank you. That was very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, no money changed hands. So, all right. Now, Nathan, um, you know, beyond your co-founding and growth at One Click Retail, amazing achievement so early in the market for that, they, uh, extending that success at Edge by Essential. And now you've co-founded Analytic in Index. I'm also obsessed with the data you share on your LinkedIn feed. Listeners, go and follow uh, Nathan Rigby on LinkedIn because he's awesome. We are total fanboys. And so recently I, I saw you share some comparative data between Walmart and Amazon in terms of their ad investment in their own private brands and, and its implications for their suppliers and sellers, which I thought was fascinating. Now, I, I, you may have refreshed the data since I saw it last. So I'd love it if you'd mind sharing that latest data and, and what those tea leaves tell you. Oh, totally. Well, I, I am equally fascinated by all things e-commerce and how the data can tell, you know, the truth. And uh, so as you look at what's going on, I think two of the most, you know, dynamic and interesting things that are going on from, you know, retail and e-commerce in particular has been retail media, which has caught the world by storm, but also private brands. And then this has all come to a head recently with the most recent, you know, obvious legislation that is being put forward as government officials are looking at how competitive, you know, e-commerce platforms need to be. And so it's really gaining more and more, you know, media credibility to what's going on within retail media, as well as private brands. But the real insight that I have, having looked at the data over the past, you know, year, is that Amazon is embracing the power of private brands from the e-commerce landscape. They are fully understanding that this is not only, you know, a powerful tool for negotiation with brand manufacturers, um, their own, you know, product opportunity for profitability and assortment expansion, um, ways to control price uh, across the environment through a competitive offering that has a like-to-like -like time of similarity. But then the thing that really fascinated me from the Amazon point of view is then their leveraging of it 
through retail media, both sponsored products, as well as other sponsored search mechanisms to be able to drive their presence across, you know, the consumer landscape, as well as then the, you know, um, corresponding impact that has for brands and their retail media spend. And vice versa, looking at walmart.com and how their private brand initiative is still coming from a very brick and mortar personality set. I worked for um, Walmart for a number of years and actually worked in private brands. And, you know, it doesn't seem like much has changed besides now the opportunity of presenting the private brands in the walmart.com or Walmart OPD platforms for, you know, consumers to purchase. They are not at all um, leveraging that. So the, the data point that I have for you, um, we look at month to month retail media activity. And in July, Amazon had uh, of the of the 20 primary categories that we were tracking for this report, um, Amazon had its private brands in the top 20 for 16 of those. And it's several of them like clothing or health and household essentials. They had multiple private brands um, across the, the top 20. And then in about 10 of those, they were the number one most active retail media advertiser within those different departments. Yeah. Vice versa on, on Walmart, you know, they um, they just they they don't they are not actively investing in retail media um, from their department place. They have a couple that, you know, they have their their wireless play in the cell phone space and they have better homes and gardens in the home space. But for all intents and purposes, we don't see great value populated um, on Walmart retail media spend. We don't see old Roy having any impact in terms of pet. So it's, it's one of those things that I think is really shaping the conversation, uh, both for the opportunity for the retailer, as well as for the frustration potentially of, of brand manufacturers. So I'd love to follow up on that. Like, what do you, how do you think, um, you know, our listeners who are thinking a lot about how they both um, are Amazon is their customer and also their competitor as well as Walmart and any of the other retailers. I mean, private brands have been around forever, but as they think about sort of this interpretation of the data, kind of what, what would you, what do you, what would your takeaways be if you were sitting in that seat of having to make, uh, you know, retail investment decisions or negotiations with Amazon, you know, whatever it might be, what, yeah. what comes to your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, uh, I always think back on, you know, my youth growing up with the, the NBC logo coming across of the more, you know, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so ding, ding, ding. I yeah. <laughs> starting with that category management teams, strategy teams, shopper marketing teams need to be able to, first of all, understand what's going on and what truly are the levers that are being pulled. And then the consequences of those retailer level levers, because for far too long, um, it's been that brick and mortar of play of like, okay, the brand manufacturer is going to leverage this from the point of view of price, as well as negotiable power in the conversations of, you know, threatening that we're going to launch our own version of your diaper. If you don't, you know, correspondingly, you know, provide the right type of um, advantageous terms to, uh, to succeed across that brick and mortar landscape. Now, it's, it's not completely changed, but it's very much 
pivoted into a new type of environment wherein, you know, being able to leverage the, the, the private brands to potentially um, set floors for retail minimum bids or to be able to generate more activity in keyword search functions drives up that retail media co- that retail media revenue. Uh, we all are seeing what's going on in the Amazon ecosystem and all of us um, see the, the trend line that they are, you know, in the next couple of years going to be an advertising first platform and a retailer second. And so private brands is at the very heart of this and is, you know, also being addressed from both the brand manufacturer view, from, you know, government legislation, from, you know, competitive response in ways that um, I don't necessarily think all of us know where the end from the begin the beginning from the end is going to go. But where, you know, I would start is knowing what's actually going on and how private brands are now being shaped in that. Now, the second part of that is understanding with that data, being able to know um, how those negotiations should go. I mean, we all appreciate that you can't shake a hand with an algorithm, but um, for many of the world's largest brands, they are still shaking hands with Amazon. It's not necessarily an algorithm. Uh, Third-party sellers might fill that algorithm kind of uh, that algorithm mentality and digitally native brands, but they're the ones that don't seem to be struggling with how to dance the dance of, of e-commerce. So from that, that, that conglomerate brand manufacturer, I believe that this data is foundational to be able to help them with their negotiating strategy, both in terms of how they are spending their money in retail media dollars, as well as those you know, one-on-ones with Amazon and, and Walmart of saying, okay, you want us to spend? Well, then these are, this is how we're, we're, what we're seeing. We acknowledge what you're doing and, um, you know, how those consequences play out for our capital investments and the effectiveness that we get from those returns that we spend. Hey, Nathan, on the, the private label front, just, I, I'm curious how you respond to this. Um, I consider Amazon to be pretty bad at private label if they care about it, because, if you look at percentage of top line revenue that comes from owned brands at Amazon, it's substantially less than at Costco or at Kroger. I mean, Kroger has an initiative where their goal stated on their 10Ks is to have owned brands account for 30% of gross. And Amazon is low single digit percentages of that and and not, not accelerating faster than its overall retail. Um, So if private label were something where, uh, I guess, not Bezos, not Bezos anymore, but uh, Amazon senior executives were twisting their mustache out in a corner saying, I'm going to use private label as a club against all of my brands and drive prices, drive up ad prices and drive down margin and blah, blah, blah. You, You would expect them to be better at it than it appears that they are. So how do you square the absolute gross percentage revenue Amazon is getting from private label um, and, and how, how bad it is relative to other retailers with you know, your argument that it's at the heart of, of the way that a lot of this is working? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of truth to what you said, Rob. Um, and I think we all acknowledge that Amazon is the most innovative company in the world. And with that, 
they are very comfortable, you know, succeeding and failing in real time. And there's been plenty of failures with, across the private label front for Amazon, but there have been a tremendous amount of successes. I would argue that Amazon's position as the world's number one apparel retailer is um, foundationally off of the back of their private brand initiative. You look at their Amazon Basics, Amazon Essentials, Amazon Collections, um, Good Threads, and five or 10 other private label initiatives there that has foundationally provided them the assortment that then has invited other um, of the more traditional brand manufacturers and apparel manufacturers into the space. So in that regard, I very much see them as having been successful. The other true success without a doubt has been their electronics, right? You look at, you know, Alexa, as well as, you know, their continued investment in Firestick um, as ways that they are truly trying to drive that conversation in ways that um, is shaping, you know, the smart technologies in ways that we've never seen before. And, and, and foundationally, um, they are succeeding in those regards. Now, um, they totally failed on their cell phone, right? And so I don't necessarily see them that failure for Amazon is actually a good thing. It means that they're getting better, that they're trying to learn more. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me, Rob, in preparation for this call, I just went on to LinkedIn and I looked at Amazon private brands. And there are 22,000 um, individuals with records of either past, present, or you know, connecting um, connections to Amazon private, private brands. You do look at AWG, there's 90,000 people. So I truly believe that while they're failing now, it doesn't mean that they're going to um, fail consistently across certain areas. And they do have a, a tremendous amount of business cases, like I said, in clothing, in electronics. I think they're starting to pick up their speed with Happy Belly and, and getting some more um, traction going there. So uh, yes, I, I, I acknowledge that they, they probably have plenty of, of, of um, you know, one pizza sessions talking about how this didn't work and how to go, you know, the other direction. But I don't necessarily know if I totally buy into their total failure as a percentage of revenue. It's about 2% right now, but it's growing incredibly quickly. And then they, going back into the idea of retail media, you look at Amazon basics alone in the last 30 days, they had 25,844 sponsored keyword terms that they were bidding on in the last 30 days for just Amazon basics of which there were 7,313 items that were being sponsored. Now on those keyword terms, those are just high volume keyword terms that we're tracking right now. It does not get into the long tail. So the amount of investment that they're putting into that has got to have a, a meaningful impact in terms of, of the, their bid strategy across that brand manufacturing universe. So anyway, a couple of thoughts back in terms of your, 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 your thoughts there, Rob. Yeah, I mean, I think of Alexa as a totally different beast that's category defining. But I had always understood Amazon's private label as a combination of filling in assortment gaps and um, looking to lower prices when they felt prices were too high. So if there was a category like batteries where they thought that the major battery manufacturers were um, had, you know, getting too much margin effectively, right? It's in the same way that that Casper attacked margins in the mattress 
distribution chain by going direct. And there was a ton of margin that they could take out there. Amazon was saying, look, you guys, you guys are used to these really fat margins. Let's, let's try to, let's try to lower prices. They wouldn't lower prices so that they would, you know, they went with their own to, to as almost like a consumer price control. And the reason that I think it makes sense is that if you're Amazon, you'd rather have a third party seller selling on your platform and bidding up keywords than you doing it yourself. There's just more, there's just more margin and more efficiency if there's a third party seller selling on Amazon for the exact same product compared to Amazon selling something private label. And so, so strategically, it always felt to me like there was going to be a natural, given their business model, a natural cap to uh, the way that they went. Now, if you go to Target, though, I think Target has created, what, six individual billion-dollar brands in the last few years. And Target also has a retail media program. And I, I, I don't know if you've got the data, but it, it would not surprise me at all if, if you saw Target's private label online performing exceptionally well as compared to uh, non-private label products. In, in, in 30 days products. from now, we'll have that conversation. And I can tell you that we are just finalizing our, our target.com platform to be able to tell those stories. But I, I think that you're right. Like it, it is not without um, acknowledgement that the targets and, and Costco's initiatives for private brands is very distinctly different from Walmart and, and distinctly different than from Amazon. They play those as, as a brand reputation play. Like that, as you think about Costco, you think Kirkland. As you think about uh, Target, you understand the way that they curate their private brands in a way that quality and, and brand reputation are equally a part of their assortment price and negotiable um, leverage that they can create. And it's, and it's a much more balanced attack to them. I, I do agree with you that I, that I think that Amazon started with the idea of, okay, this is about assortment, this is about price. I think that they're falling into an added benefit of how this um, potentially uh, drives retail media engagement. Like I said, they're effectively, they can set some floors, not through bid technology, but through their own bids of private brands at certain levels across certain keyword terms that um, you know, naturally um, rises the ocean of their, their advertising sales. So Nathan, I, th I think this is a good place because we're talking about sort of all this data that you've got that, is, that can drive a lot of these um, insights and decisions. It's, it's all coming from your new company, Analytic Index. So why did you start it? What was the, what was the greenfield that you saw and how is it different than what you've done before at one click retail or essential? Well, that's kind of you to ask. Yeah. So my co-founder, Mike Carlsman and I have a shared past having both worked at Walmart for a number of years. We then became co-founders at one click retail with Spencer Millerberg, who was our visionary and we caught a tiger by the tails. And it was one of the most exciting moments of my life to be able to help brand manufacturers solve big problems through data because data tells you know, stories that you know, qualitative and kind of uh, supposition can never fully do. And so um, then being able to do that through Edge by Essential and the great partners we had there, um, instilled in me a passion for problem solving. So when we, you know, Mike Carlsman and I left after our earnout, um, it was still fundamentally baked in us that we wanted to go and solve big problems across the e-commerce landscape. And one of the larger problems we felt 
uh, still needed to be um, kind of solved for was the total e-commerce view of being able to understand um, at the aggregate level as then as well as being able to dive into each individual marketplace and last but not least being able to do cross retailer analysis across all of the foundational data for sales search and then you know some of the shelf elements that are so important to agencies brand manufacturers retailers um, so our, our our vision for analytic index really founded off of this ability of being the most complete, comprehensive, and actionable platform on the planet. Complete in the idea that we also like the idea of being able to provide a data set for category management, shopper marketing, and e-commerce teams that was not limited by budgets or by the ability of tracking certain items, keywords, or categories. So we've delivered a, a product that provides the complete data set for walmart.com, which includes OPD and being able to understand, you know, as I was talking to a, a great um, friend in the uh, in the um, kind of food space, he has almond flour and being able to now look at how bread makers are growing comparative to almond flour really shapes his um, strategy and his insights in ways that he was never able to do before because of uh, the way that, um, you know, we had done it previously at, at other locations. So that was the, the idea of completeness, comprehensive of looking across all e-commerce. So right now we're live on walmart.com, Walmart OPD, amazon.com, target.com is coming in the, in the coming days. We will expand that out by the end of this year to have Home Depot, Lowe's, Chewy, um, uh, Wayfair, and there's a number of others that are on our current roadmap. And then actionable, it's all about being able to drive true superior growth for our partners. And that is done not through superior data, but superior data that can be data told, like data storytelling, right? And, and being able to help identify the insights and actions in ways that really drives the real-time nature of how to optimize organic search or how to you know, truly understand what keyword terms you are relevant for based off of the reverse engineering of the Amazon search algorithm or the Walmart search algorithm. And so those are the capabilities that are kind of the foundation of what we're delivering on a day in, day out basis. All right. So Nathan, I, I'm going to put you on the spot because I want to, uh, I'm fascinated by almond flour and you mentioned it. So <laughs> if, if I were the category manager uh, who was dealing with, who wanted to drive sales of almond flour on, on Amazon or Walmart or, you know, wherever you want to dig in, what, what could I see on analytic index that would help shape that strategy? Like, can oh, you that's a great question. I, I love almond flour because it's right in this space of like, uh, you know, product development and, and um, the trends that are starting to really develop grocery in ways that, you know, five, 10 years ago, this would have been non-existent to. And so as you look at almond flour across Walmart and Amazon um, and Target and any other, they're all going to have different plays and different assortments and different um, kind of levels of, of effectiveness of the levers that you can pull, as well as the impact that those, uh, that those levers will have on your business. And so going at more of the holistic level for almond flour, let me kind of pull this up in real time on our platform. 
I'll start here at, uh, at more of a, a category analysis. And so um, I'll start on Walmart. On Walmart here, you've got almond flour that really kind of resides in two primary categories. It, it, it resides in the baking ingredients, flour and mills. And you also have some in tortillas for, for flour tortillas that have some almond flour specific callouts within that. And so the first start of, of any company that's looking at a trend like this of whether or not they need to optimize the assortment they already have or, or looking at product development and then investment in this type of a space is learning who's winning, who's learning, and what are the market dynamics for that. So um, on walmart.com, you have two different categories, like I mentioned earlier. There's 23 keyword terms that are really driving the growth on Walmart. And so, you know, those range in terms of branded keyword terms and non-branded keyword terms within the platform. Um, it's an area that is somewhat being um, competitive. You've got eight different brands right now on walmart.com bidding for these keyword terms. Um, the, the most aggressive being Nature's Eat and then Bob's Red Mill. So the two of those right now are yo-yoing back and forth with about 40 to 60 percent of the marketing activity across all of the almond flour keyword terms that are being bid on. Interestingly enough, that does identify for you that you have you know, about 15 keyword terms that are right now wide open blue ocean space for a brand to be able to go and leverage um, both from you know, a paid media perspective, but also um, identifying those same keyword terms for organic opportunities. And organic, in my opinion, is the true flywheel. That's the one that really does keep paying long-term if you can keep that in your, your, your ongoing content updates and, and management. Average price point, $15.99, right? And there are currently 11 items on the walmart.com platform. If we switch this over quickly and now go look at Walmart OPD, and that's really where Walmart is pivoting as we all are understanding the, the changes that are going on within their platform OPD is going to become the primary vehicle of, of, for many, for inventory purposes, for retail media purposes. Um, there's some really exciting developments that obviously Walmart has spent a lot of time and, and, and effort to be able to understand and drive that. So let me, let me compare and contrast Walmart.com, Almond Flower, category landscape to then, um, to then Amazon. And you're looking now at Amazon Amazon is also has two different categories. Their categories are identified as flowers and meals and wheat flowers and meals. And they're their pantry staples kind of subcategory within the business. They have 115 keyword terms of which 18 brands are currently sponsoring those. So much higher saturation of the number of keyword terms that you have available at your organic and paid discretion, but you have a lot more competition that's now going on within that. There's 19 items that right now are competing in this almond flower space. And from a retail media spend, you've now got blue almond, blue diamond almonds, simple mills, Anthony's, Welby's, baked goods. All of them are now very competitive for the retail media spend on those almond flower keyword terms. So now, you can start I, to I compare and contrast how competitive these different spaces are. Go ahead, Peter. No, sorry. No, I... I, I 
Should I find it interesting that that the the brands are completely different from retailer to retailer? I know. I, I find that very interesting as well, right? That you see, uh, you know, completely different brands that are playing on these different platforms. Um, I find that interesting too. And I was wondering if earlier you mentioned that um, Walmart was sort of underinvesting in their private brands, potentially, or at least not investing to, at the uh, in terms of retail ad spend. Do you feel like that means that there's an opportunity at Walmart to grow market share if you invest more in retail media at Walmart? Or is that too simplistic a conclusion? I think long term, yes. Short term right now, um, figuring there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of growth that Walmart paid media has got to go through to truly start to drive the incremental impact that brands need. I mean, there are plenty of brands that are having tremendous success on Walmart, but holistically, um, as to be expected, it's it's a little bit more cumbersome of how you can then, you know, we oftentimes see brands that are using their Amazon advertising on the Walmart platform and without fail, they are overspending on keyword terms that organically they already have 100% saturation on and are then just, uh, you know, spending their money. and. There's a lot of reasons why for auto campaigns that require that, but there's just, there's still an inefficiency right now to Walmart um, connect that um, doesn't make it the most natural way to just go put a lot of money. And that's why the data becomes so fundamental to understand what's working, what's not working so that you can do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So in this data storytelling, you just walked us through what is analytic indexes moat? Like what is that secret sauce that you feel like really is changing the capabilities that, that you're able to provide to folks who are making these kinds of decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. Our found fundamental um, delivery is being able to provide you that comprehensive view of comparing and contrasting all of the different players in a like-to-like scenario. So being able to look at keywords across these different things in real time and understanding what organic and paid saturation and ad types are, and then being able to lever onto that the, um, the analytic index search accelerator. And it's one of the big differentiators of what we do is this keyword relevancy view. Um, you know, everyone has always been talking about reverse engineering, the, key, uh, the, the algorithms, and for all intents and purposes, when you get to a scale with the data, you can understand maybe not every dynamic that goes into that, but then the output of, of when you search for a keyword term like almond flour, who is winning and what those what those characteristics of those winners are doing such that you can start to understand what keyword terms not only um, have high volume traffic to them, but also more importantly, what keyword terms you are relevant for and whether or not your relevancy based off of conversion metrics and organic saturation allow you to then be able to build off of that momentum and invest in those in a prioritized way rather than just going and shooting at traffic targets rather than uh, shooting at, the, at, the, at, at traffic estimates, you can now combine those traffic estimates with relevancy insights so that you truly have a prioritized view of the keyword terms that you should be optimizing organically and on a paid um, 
a paid situation. So, wow for for data geeks, this must be like a a playground. Yeah, I mean it's it's nonstop. I mean we we on a day in day day out basis are releasing new reports. We just developed a trademark infringement tool that identifies for you on Walmart and Amazon you know, the brands that are infringing upon your trademark and who are those third-party sellers and what's the impact to your business through um, both search as well as sales because of that. Uh, the pricing tool, it's not anything that's new, but it's, it's new in the fact that you have a way to look at this from a brand category item cross-retailer view that's never, that's never been done to my knowledge and my experience in the space. So, um, there's a lot of what people are already very comfortable for. And then with a next generation analytics capability added to that with um, a data set that's, um, you know, never been approached before from that cross retailer perspective. Well, I mean, we're so grateful that you came on to, to share both the data that you have. And I, once again, I encourage our listeners to to follow you on LinkedIn because you're spewing this stuff out on a regular basis there. And, uh, and the, and just to, to start hearing how the, the storytelling that you can provide through the data really can drive uh, people to make better business decisions. I think it's, it's, it's awesome to see you taking on a new idea, Nathan. So um, thank you for sharing with it. With us, well, it's with always us. great to be among inquisitive minds and those that are truly passionate about the space. And so once again, thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the kind uh, words as well as the encouragement that you've provided. And once again, like I said, like that thought leadership is instrumental in our space. And so uh, my kudos to the Digital Shelf Institute and um, to Salsify and to everyone else that's a part of this initiative to make this such a, a remarkable place to, you know, share ideas and push back on ideas and really seek after data in ways that will uh, ultimately drive success. So thank you. Great. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks to Nathan for joining us. Please share this deep dive into almond flour and search optimization with your colleagues. Thanks for being part of our community.